0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca, which is part of the 99.94 Network. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca is about minor league cricket through the eyes of the winning head coach. My name's Adam Crosswaite and
1: I was a head coach at the Seattle Thunderbolts during the minor league, and, yeah, I run a marketing
0: company here in Australia called The Brand Bar. We talk about his origin in the star-studded Victorian team, how he had to swap states to get away from Matthew Wade, found himself out of pro cricket before he turned 30, and then traveled to America on a whim and somehow won the minor league cricket title. I get some very, very unfamous people on my podcast, but outside of Australian cricket fans, not a lot of people are going to know who you are, but don't worry, you're not the least famous. I mean, I'm probably less famous, so that's fine, but... (laughs) You smashed the uh, ball everywhere for Victoria to win the first T20 crown. Fifty off 29, 30 balls. Uh, it's it's like sad, that, yeah. Sad that fact, I remember that. Was that was pretty act. quick too. Yeah, yeah, that was really quick. You played in that Victorian era. That was. it's probably didn't. I think if it had come five or ten years later with the internet, it would have been a lot more. You know, with social media, it would have been a lot more famous. But let's see if I can remember the players. And this is just some of the players you would have played with. It would have been Hodge, Blizzard, Quiney. Hussey, Klinger, McDonald, Mick Lewis, Shane Harwood, Dirk Nannis, Cameron White, Bryce McGain, John Moss, Matthew Wade. We'll get to Matthew Wade in a moment because he uh, changes your life a little bit. But that was an incredibly stacked era of, I mean, any first class setup, having a team like that is phenomenal. And you were sort of like the young guy coming through into that kind of setup, weren't you? It was a hugely talented era for Victorian cricket.
1: Yeah, it really was. And as you said, those names are, are great players. Most of them played for Australia. We had some really good success. As you said, we we won the first three uh, T20 titles when it first started and then we lost the fourth. The only reason we lost is they ran a buy on me to to win the final and, and we lost it on the last ball, but it would have been four in a row. But uh, yeah, no, we had a really good side we had really good players and it was a really
0: strong team and and a pretty dominant team in Australian cricket at that stage and from there I mean my memory of your career is and I was I think when you started was probably when I had the, the lone Rangers fan blog which was probably read by more of the players in the in the change room than actually <laughs> any fans so, uh, I think Hodgie's still upset with some of the things I wrote about him but my memory was in Victorian cricket in general that you were pretty well hyped as you know this next young wicket keeper coming through especially about your glove work you know there was a lot of talk about you know that you know a lot of optimism about your batting you could smack the ball a fair way but you were sort of you you were thought to be the replacement for darren berry which is in victorian cricket you know royalty so it's a big thing for you to be able to do that and then out of nowhere tasmania end up with Matthew Wade and Tim Payne at the same time. Victoria then make a deal with Matthew Wade. There's a great story about Ryan Campbell realising that Adam Gilchrist is moving to New South Wales and thinking to himself, oh, shit, how am I ever going to get get a game here? Is it a bit similar when you realise that the Vicks are making a play for Wade?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think when that happened and Wadey came uh, across, we were both – like, Wadey's a year or two younger than me, so you're already a 21-year-old keeper or – 20-year-old wiki keeper and they go and get an 18, 19-year-old wiki keeper, it's a – yeah, it's a daunting prospect. At the time, I believed I was a better player. I believed that I would still play and and that's sort of the way that it happened. I think Wadey came and played shield cricket. Uh, I had the T20 in the one-day spot with the gloves, but then we both played in the in the opposite team as a, as a bat. So I played shield cricket as a bat when – usually when Hussey and White went away to play for Australia and then Wadey played – Uh, one day cricket for us as well. So we played a lot together. We probably played two or three seasons together, but it got to the stage where it wasn't helping either of us. We were both trying to play for Australia. We both knew we wanted to. And to do that, we knew that Tim Payne was playing every form down in Tassie. We knew Graham Manu was in South Australia doing the same thing. And Chris Hartley and Luke were, were, were had the full run of it. So at the time... Post-Gilchrist and into Brad Haddon era, um, it was a bit of a um, hustle to sort of see who would be the next. Peter Neville was at New South Wales, and but Wadey and I were both a little bit unhappy at just the fact that we weren't getting a full run at it. I went to Victoria and said, hey, I want the gloves in, in all forms. I think it was pretty well known that I was probably the better wicketkeeper, the better hands, and his batting was seen to be a little bit better than mine. And, and yeah, I, I think... My issue was I probably, as a 21, 22-year-old, didn't dominate first-class cricket as I as I would have liked, and yeah, the decision sort of had to be made, and I was offered a contract, but I decided that I thought that Victoria were going down the Matthew Wade path, and um, I didn't want to be stuck behind it, so I made the decision to to leave a contract on the table and move to Sydney and and try and take on Peter Neville and Daniel Smith at, in Sydney, which... I did that for two years and then took off across to South Australia and uh, ended up playing, yeah, for the Strikers, Adelaide Strikers in the first big bash and then Shield Cricket, and we ended up winning a one-day title with South Australia. So that was a a good little time. But then South Australia went through a rebuild and there was a young footballer called Alex Carey who was not bad with the gloves. And, and that was a really good move from South Australia. At the time, it hurt me. I probably wanted one more year and to see if I could have a full season of shield cricket taking on the likes of Wade and Neville and uh, Payne to see who would be that guy, but it's sort of not the way that it worked out. But, yeah, I was able to go from Victoria to New South Wales to uh, South Australia. And, yeah, look, had a good time doing it. Would have loved to have had it work out a little bit different, but, yeah, had a great time chasing it as well.
0: It probably shows how much you backed yourself that you went to New South Wales because I, I know in wicket keeping it's a little bit different because you're kind of go you're probably looking at get one player and going, well, I can take that player on. But at the same time, Simon Kadich and Stuart McGill, are two names that, that come to mind, but they kind of. Simon Cattage was already really well regarded when he made the move and Stuart McGill was a a spinner moving from Western Australia to the spinning pitch. (laughs) So it makes a little bit more sense, but it does show that at that point you are still thinking, I have a chance here. I mean, Neville would go on to play for Australia. Daniel Smith was a really good player as well. Let's not forget. So you it wasn't like you were taking on, you know, players who couldn't play at all. You were still making a real bet on yourself as a professional cricketer at that point. And the thing that makes me, that is really interesting is that at the end, you actually finish very, very young, your professional career. I mean, you talk about the Alex Carey thing. If you're a batter or a bowler, you're probably going to play on into your thirties. And instead, when when your last professional game is what, around 28, 29, is it? Yeah, 28,
1: 29. And and look, it probably wasn't by design. Uh, I definitely, I still haven't retired from first class cricket. So if the Vicks want to pick me, I'm still here, ready to go, but yeah, it just sort of when there isn't that many opportunities, like it's a probably a bad career choice to be we could keep it really. You've got the Australian side six first-class teams and you've got two extra Big Bash teams to make, so you've you've probably got 8 to 9 spots in the country that you can really go for, but yeah, look it it was disappointing the way it sort of went. I probably underestimated the politics in New South Wales and I think that it was sort of backhand said to me at one stage, no Victorian had ever played for New South Wales, so why did you come here anyway? And I was like, it's a really good point. Now I look at it, I'm a bit older. At the time, I was probably naive and just thought that my cricket ability was
0: better than the guys in front of me. See, if you'd asked me, if someone had said that to you, I would have said, that's easy, Keith Miller. Just pass yourself off as the new Keith Miller and you're fine. (laughs) It would have been
1: nice. I I think (laughs) like Peter Neville's obviously a Victorian, but he'd never played for Victoria. I just think that the pride of New South Wales didn't want I guess what was probably seen as a Victorian cricket recycled wicket keeper was probably the way that it that it panned out unfortunately. but in saying that, look I had a great time in Sydney but then the opportunity came in in South Australia and yeah, I, I took that. so it's one of those professional sport, I'm big on loyalty that that's for sure, but in professional sport you need to chase what you can chase and you need to go to where you can potentially get a game and get a job and That's what I needed to do and I needed to get up and leave. Did I choose the right state? Probably not. But at that stage, I I really wanted to play cricket for Australia and I thought I was good enough. And, yeah, I I backed myself and it's probably a story of somebody who backed themselves and just fell a little bit short. But in the same time, I I think that's – for my next phase of my career in my coaching side, I think the lessons that I've learnt by playing in such a great team like you spoke about earlier – by then having to go out and try and forge my own way in the rest of the country to bounce around, the, the lessons I've learned and the lessons I've, I guess, trying to teach the young guys that I'm working with now is, yeah, I've probably got a unique story compared to to most professional cricketers around the country.
0: You're probably also, unlucky is the wrong word, but I think at the time, I think your T20 career, you averaged 20 with a strike rate of about 140. And I think back then people would have been like, well, he averaged 20 Whereas I think now they'd be like, well, he strikes at 140. So, you know, it was maybe even two or three years after 2012 might've been a slightly different thing, but it's more common now for shield cricketers to move States. But I remember talking to Stuart law like a decade ago and he was like, it's heresy. No one should be ever allowed to move States. And uh, he, he saw state cricket as, as a national identity, but you gave it three different goes at 28, 29, And you're thinking, what do I do now? Because especially someone who'd had tasted success like you had, you're not really expecting to have to plan your career that early at that point, you know, suddenly Alex carries the flavor of the month. And, you know, what do you do in in your life at that point?
1: Yeah. And and I think it was probably a time where, look, I've always had business interests. I've always sort of had things outside of cricket. So for me, it was probably a life decision to go, okay. So I went back to Sydney Got involved with the Sydney Sixers in their academy, but never played. Was involved with the Manly Career Club and still trying to make it, but also wasn't putting all my eggs in the cricket basket. Was pretty uh, realistic at that stage at closing in on 30. And because I played, I I debuted for Victoria when I was 18. So even at 28, people thought I was a lot older than what I was. I'd played probably 150, 160 state games, and it was sort of – you could feel that there was a little bit, uh, mate, you've had your opportunity, yep. let's move on with your life sort of thing. And, and look, I, I was okay with that. I still, probably to this day, if you ask me, I still think I'm a better cricketer than some of the people that have taken my spot. And that's just the the nature of a, an athlete. I, I still think, yeah, I could have played a lot more cricket, but it's not the way it worked out. And But I've, I've stayed in cricket. Like I've stayed very attached to cricket and I've stayed attached to club cricket and and, and the coaching. So there's a big part of me that thinks I'm going to make a much better coach than I did a player, probably because of the way that my career panned out and the, the players that I played with. Oh, I look at the players I played with. Well, the Victorian coach, Bucky Rogers, Chris Rogers, I played with. The, the Australian coach, Andrew McDonald, I played with. I've played with under David Saker, who's the Renegades coach, and uh, Mick Lewis. And like, there's every single player almost that I've played with. David Hussey, who's coaching the Melbourne Stars. Adam Voges, who's coaching WA, and the Scorchers, I, they, these guys I've played with them and I've seen, and I've, a lot of my cricket lessons are from these guys. So there's a, there's a big part of me that's excited about this next chapter of, of coaching and, and seeing what happens there.
0: Yeah that also proves just how many Victorian players went on to be coaches and I'm not even sure I named some of them in my list before which yeah. does does tell you that the level of talent that there was at that stage so so you go off into business and you 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 play cricket more for yourself because you still love the game and, and hang around in it so I already know the answer to this because I asked you before I had this memory of you playing cricket in America a long time ago how did that happen and what sort of an experience was that and, and when was it
1: yeah. So this would have been oh, 2011, maybe 12 um, around then. So I, I played in a in a tournament in LA for the Seattle Mooses. Shout out to all the Mooses out there. So we went over and played in a tournament there, had a great time. Didn't know what to expect when I walked into US cricket and understood to see what was going on and... And to see the players that were there, it was – I remember thinking at the time, I said, geez, I could take four or five of these spinners back to Australia and they'd probably be the best in Sydney grade cricket or in, in Melbourne. It's uh, There was some really talented people. And the, the way I got there was my brother went over and followed a girl from uni over to the US and based themselves in Washington in Seattle. And, yeah, we've just made some friends and some friends that we've kept for the last sort of 15 years probably.
0: And so – American cricket, you know, it has those tournaments and, you know, there's great stories of Rakeem Korm and, you know, Nicholas Perrin. In fact, most of the West Indians playing in those tournaments, a couple of Aussies like yourself, Kiwis occasionally, and Indians turning up in them as well. That has existed. That is a big difference from minor league cricket. When do you start hearing about minor league cricket? How close are you looking at USA as well at that time? And, you know, because there was you probably wouldn't have played with him, but Neil Maxwell at one stage was involved with USA cricket. Was it New Zealand? The New Zealand Cricket Board was involved with it. Like, you know, you, me, Peter Della Pena, we've all kept our eyes on these flare-ups that never really go anywhere. When minor league cricket starts to happen, and obviously with major league cricket as well, is that the first time you think, well, wait a minute, this is now a a potential place for, for me to go and work?
1: Yeah, look, I think that I've kept a really close eye on it for the last sort of fifteen years, and and there's been times where I think, as you've said, we we thought that hey, this might be the time, and that they've got their act together, and things are things are going well. There's a lot to do with obviously the admin that you watch, that you you make sure that the administration is doing the right thing and is is under control, and and I think that it's just watching that. There's been a few false starts, um, but when the minor league came along. VJ Bennywell is a good friend of mine who was involved at Seattle and spoke to me about potentially coming for the first minor league.
0: Was he involved with the Mooses as
1: well? He was involved with the Mooses, yeah. So VJ is an executive at Microsoft and has been for for a long time. And he essentially runs the Microsoft Cricket Club and and Seattle Cricket in general. And, and he's been a, a really good friend and has, has always wanted to and said to me that, hey, when, once we get serious, once this gets going, come over and, and, and help us set it up. And it was always a viable option. And I, and I look at it and I, I see the US as the last frontier and the, the greatest piece of the puzzle in world cricket. And I think that, look, I think it's going to be very difficult to get young, local American kids picking up a cricket bat rather than shooting hoops and swinging the baseball bat. But I genuinely think that there's a there's a massive market there for um, for a really good tournament. And then potentially, once you have a really good tournament, locals and um, the juniors come up that, hey, the US national team could be a really successful side just by sheer weight of numbers, to be honest, yeah. like the, the, the population, no, the, the people that could play.
0: Yeah. So you're talking about major league, right? But that's not what you went over for. You went over for minor league, which is – It's like an advanced club cricket system, isn't it? Like it's almost like a semi-pro sort of league. What job are you offered? Because you go over kind of on a whim at the last minute, right? Like it's not like you—you know—they've been planning for two years to bring you over, and suddenly that was the case. The Thunderbolts offer you what kind of position?
1: Look, they come over and offered me the—I guess—the head coaching position. Due to the fact I'm still playing, I'm still playing cricket here. I was happy to play, so I, I started as a bit of a captain, not, not captain. So Harmeet was our captain, but as a coach and a player, but then was very happy to move more into the general management of the team and step away from playing and um, hitting balls. To
0: Is that because you didn't make any runs? Or?
1: Yeah, I, I kept trying to slog <laughs> a few and I wasn't averaging 60. So I thought, you know what, we'll get, uh, yeah, we'll get young Rayan from Canada come in and, and whack a few. But no, it was the idea for me going to the US wasn't to play. I know there's a, a lot of guys going over to potentially qualify and things like that there, it was never really in my mind to do that be, just because I think that I, I'm in my late 30s you don't need by the time I qualify I'm 40 and you know what I don't want to play in a world cup when I'm 40 facing the pace that I'd have to face in a world cup so but no but to help US cricket I I'm I'm super keen and and I've loved watching it and I think getting over there and setting up a program and we set the Seattle Thunderbolts program up to be as close to a professional program as we could. We had, yeah, four or five professional players, major league players that were in our group, and then our local players from Sri Lanka, India, Pakistan, Canada. We had a couple of South Africans who were very good. Everybody took the cricket seriously, and and I think that's what probably kept us in good stead throughout the three-month tournament, that we took it seriously. VJ took it seriously and told me, I want you to come over here and run a team as professionally as we can do and 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 those guys are professional people and we were lucky enough to
0: have the mix of players that we needed to take it all out the interesting thing about your tournament is that for a lot of it the thunderbolts weren't particularly a good team and weren't you know despite the fact that you know you had yourself and you had some other very very good players in that side you struggled for a long time and then suddenly the team comes from nowhere and starts winning. Did you qualify for the finals in the last game of the season? i
1: remembering that right? Yeah, we did. We did. We had to come from a long way back as well. So the, the last weekend we needed to make up a lot of net run rate. So we had to win, but we also had to make up net run rate, and that was uh, – it was difficult. So, look, we we had a really good year. We lost, I think, to East Bay in the first game, and then we went on a heater and, and we won. We, we didn't lose until Silicon Valley came to Seattle and we – To be honest, we got stuck on a bit of a dodgy Seattle turf wicket and uh, very low-scoring games, and we came out on the wrong side. So when we lost those two to um, Silicon Valley, we knew that we needed to – and then we did have the lower-ranked teams in our group, but we needed to win, but we didn't need to just win. We needed to win well. And, look, we played our ground really well in the back half of the season, and, yeah, we qualified. We we had the – it's funny to hear you say that because – we had internal belief that we were better than all these teams and we really did. And we knew that we just needed to have that opportunity to show it. The boys started playing really well, batting really well. And yeah, we we got on a bit of a, and I think momentum in cricket is so big and we had this momentum and we had this feeling and we were training hard. We were consistent with our training and yeah, we played with no fear. I think that going into the finals weekend that the other teams were trying not to lose when we were going out to win. And that was, a, and you can't have that second guess in cricket. And I think Silicon Valley definitely had that when we played them in the semifinal and Dallas, who was a very, very good side with Corey and his Dallas team. We knocked them over convincingly in a three game series that, yeah, we rolled into that last weekend and yeah, come into the final against Atlanta. We knew we were going to win and we had that belief.
0: It, it was interesting watching it from the outside. I, you know, I was commentating with uh, Ian O'Brien, and it's such a wide array of players from different backgrounds when you do the research, you know, from truck drivers who played a little bit of cricket on the weekend through to former pros who never quite made it, under 19 players, you know, all, and, and you know, a Sri Lankan player will come up, then a Zimbabwean, then a South African, you know, Aussie, Kiwi, all these different things, you know, not to mention all the West Indian boys as well. So it's a really, really interesting mix from that perspective that's a very different kind of environment that you're ever going to coach in Australian cricket right it's never going to happen
1: man this was honestly the, the hardest but the most fun group to ever be involved in because you're right our cultures clashed the South African and the Indian cultures definitely clashed and I'm in the middle as the Aussie trying to be a bit laid back and it's okay but then we have rules in Australia that you just you don't break, but like for instance, the time aspect as an Australian, if you're late onto the ground or late to training, it's an issue. The Indian culture in cricket, it's it's okay. We're here now. Let's go. Like things are seen differently. So the cultural aspect of it was really interesting. The way you put together and the way you work together when your backgrounds are so different, but you have the one goal. And that was one of the things that we worked really hard on. We had a lot of conversations between the group about the way that we wanted to play because just because I was the coach, it wasn't an Australian type of team. Just because we had a lot of Indians in the team, it wasn't an Indian run team. We had some really good South African players, but it, it had aspects of everyone. And that was the, the, the good part. And we all came together. Look, it wasn't smooth sailing it where there was a lot of conversations there was a lot of heated conversations it was a lot of good conversation that had to happen to get us onto the right road and that's probably the the snap of the fingers that you're talking about that halfway through the comp we all got on the same page we all knew what was expected we all knew how to play okay now we've made that decision on the direction of the group now we've got to go and execute. And look, yeah, we we were extremely lucky. Like we had some local bowlers that nobody thought would would be as good as what they were and Akalesh and, and Farney were two of the the best bowlers in the comp, and Harmeet Singh was one of the best players in the comp. That Is was
0: funny. The guy with the incredibly low action. Am I remembering incredibly him? Incredibly
1: low action, the left armor that nobody in the world can hit. I think I'm you should so be playing with that
0: guy. I mean, he, uh, he, he, he. I don't know what the speedo says. He looked to me like he's bowling seventy-two miles an hour, and it's like side arm. And me and you know, Ian O'Brien had so many fights about him because I was like, if I'm a major league team, I'm taking a chance, and he's like. You can't take a chance on a guy bowling that pace. And I was like, I don't care. For some reason, no one seems to understand how to hit him. And when they do, they hit him straight up in the air. Straight up. He was very hard
1: to hit. He's very hard to get under. And, and if you if you think of him as a spinner, he's just a fast spinner, a fast left arm orthodox spinner that bowls over the wicket, which is bizarre again. Yeah. So it's just different. It's very different, but he worked very hard. And the thing that was great about him is no two balls were the same. So as a batsman, it's very difficult to line somebody up to, to start taking them down if nothing you see is the same. he bowl on pace, off pace, round the wicket, over the wicket. He gets his lengths right. He had a good Yorker. And because he came from low, you and it was T20, you tried to hit him out of the park, but you couldn't. I, I said the same thing. I looked at it and I said, all right, give me a go at this guy at training. And... By the end of training, I was like, that's it. I'm never facing this bloke again. <laughs> and and so we, we knew we had a, a strike weapon there. And he bowled the death really well for us. And he bowled the, the tough overs. And the structure that Harmeet went with and the way that we structured the innings was, was outstanding. And it was, look, it was great cricket. It really was.
0: It's an interesting one. You, you know, I talked about you winning first big bash. Well, before it was a big bash when it was the state competition. You obviously, you know, played a lot of big games for the strikers. You won that final as well. What Matador, Ryobi, whatever sponsor it was at that stage. (laughs) ING, Mercantile Mutual, I'm not sure, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I can't I'd have to go back and think of the year. But yeah, whichever whoever it was at that stage. You know, you've played at some big high pressure games before. You obviously you played at the MCG in front of big crowds. I I reckon some of those early Victoria T20 games, I'm pretty sure I went to one that was 45, 50,000, you know, and also it's just the MCG, right? So even in the days when it was just me sitting there sledging you guys, you're still playing at the MCG. Morrisville is this place that neither of us would have ever heard of if it wasn't for American cricket. I still have to remember if I'm saying it. Sometimes I think it should be called Morristown. You're playing for, I've got the shirt that you helped me get, in fact, the Thunderbolt shirt here. So you're playing for a team in bright pink. You know, in America, this eclectic group of people. But I remember every time the camera went to you, I'm not saying this was the case for any of the other players or coaches involved, but you were taking it as seriously as you would take everything. You could see you riding every single moment of it, not to mention the ladies in pink, the wives who were going absolutely (laughs) ballistic at a minor league game, like dressed in their matching outfits. I think there was one woman who was pregnant, right? Jumping up and down at every four and six, every wicket. It just felt like there was... You know, to me, who'd only watched a couple of games, and I'm sure there's a lot of dreary minor league cricket games <laughs> that you're just like, oh, God, we're playing our crap pitch again, or, you know, uh, you, all that sort of stuff. But it did feel like there was a movement there, even if that's all it is and major league cricket doesn't take off and everything else. It did feel like something happened in that weekend. Is that what it felt for you guys when you were there?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting you say all that because, look, I personally took it super seriously and there was a greater mission and there still is a greater mission to build the franchise and to build the group of players and I think that's that's the lovely thing about cricket that you can bring a group together, whether you're playing in Morrisville or you're playing at the MCG, that the game still matters and, and once you would immerse yourself in the game, that it doesn't matter if you're in the US or you're in India or South Africa or or you're standing in the middle of the SCG, it it's a game that we love and it's the game that I love and that I want to win. And that our group had the same Passion and our families had the same passion. Like, my wife had the best time, and my little baby was dressed in pink. And uh, as you said, yeah, Rolandi, who was Andreas Gauss's wife, was heavily, heavily pregnant and jumping way too high for a pregnant lady. But the baby (laughs) came and is beautiful and safe and well, which is good. But there was this this feeling of, no, this is what we do. And, and the guys were professional and the guys want to be professional and the guys want to win and that they want to make careers for themselves in the U S and, and that's one of the, probably the things that, that I see. And I look at it now and there's a genuine career opportunity for, for these guys, um, for, for Andreas, for Hamid, for Shadley, for all of our guys, like even, even our local guys can see that, Hey, this minor league cricket will be around for a while. And if I, if I get good, there is a next step. And there is, if I do have a, um, a tournament like Farney did that all of a sudden major, I might be a local Amazon coder that I can play with Aaron Finch who comes over and plays for, for the Seattle Thunderbolts in the, or whatever the major league team is. It, the it's, Seattle uh, Mooses.
0: I'm not sure if going from Mooses to Thunderbolts is an upgrade. I like the shirts. Don't get me wrong in the logo, but. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think that's really interesting, that that side of it. But I think, you know, going back to your story, I hadn't really thought about you as a potential coach, probably because your name hasn't popped up as much, right? Like, you know, I've worked with so many other Victorian cricketers who've gone on to be coaches, and had conversations with them, and they do say that great coaches sort of build other great coaches. And if you go back to that era that you played in, not only did you play with a lot of players who went on to be, you know, very very good at coaching, but also Greg Shippard probably, you know, played a big role in that as well. I should have mentioned him at the start as well because I still think he has a huge impact in why so many of the players went on to do other things. But I'd be interested in your thought on this. The more I was thinking about your career arc, and you've you've kind of hinted at it a little bit throughout the interview as well. Let's say Wade doesn't come to town. You end up being, you know, 12, 14-year player for Victoria and probably would have had a couple of good years for Victoria in in the blast, you know, got a little bit more famous, maybe played some franchise cricket, whatever you managed to do at that point. Would you have been as open to this kind of journey if that was the case? Did it need to be that sort of kicking the balls, go back, Get business stuff and everything else to actually set you up for what might be a far more interesting second act than you would have had otherwise.
1: I, I look, I totally agree. I think I, I look at some of the players who did stick it out and play that sort of fifteen-year career that they only know one way, and um, that's not having a go at them, but that my journey was okay, I have to go and make this happen. I've got to go and finish my cricket somewhere else. I need to go and learn business. I need to go and learn sales. I need to go and start a business. So there's the the whole other side of life. I need to hustle to make sure that I can pay my house and moving around the country a few times and seeing what these opportunities come, all still whilst being involved in cricket, it's still at a very high level and just probably the step below. But no, I I agree. I, I think if my journey was different it would look different. You mentioned Greg Shippard and Greg Shippard has had a huge influence on my cricket and on a lot of guys cricket. And exactly what you said, he and he's still a mentor of mine today and still uh, he checks in and he was checking in when I was over in the U S saying, Hey, this looks interesting. This is interesting. He, one of his ones was, well, you're definitely going to win it because Magenta always wins and he he loves his Sydney sixes. So yeah, he he's a big influence in my cricket and has been and, yeah, the way you think about cricket is directly in terms of who you're with and around. And I've been super lucky to be around so many incredible cricket brains and minds. And, and that's sort of where a lot of my thoughts and feelings towards the game come. Will I make a good coach? Don't know. I, I hope that I can help players along the way. And did I play international cricket? No. So does that mean you can be a good coach? I hope it still does. And, yeah, we'll see where the journey takes us. But it's one of those ones, whether I'm in coaching or whether I'm in admin on more on the business side of things, that's still to be seen. But at, at the moment, I'm loving being involved and around and, yeah, absolutely love the journey with the Thunderbolts and can't wait to see where that franchise goes and, and what happens with the Seattle Major League team as well.
0: If I went back and asked the 20-year-old you who's – still thinking baggy green and fighting with weighty to get in the side and everything else, that this is what you were doing now. What, what do you think that person would have thought compared to how at ease and how happy you are with where you are now?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think I was a very intense, um, yeah, like I had one goal from the age of 13 years old, it was to play cricket for Australia that i think every cricketer goes through this identity crisis of okay what am i now that i'm not an australian cricketer but i I think i had a a very good education i had very good support from family and whatnot that made sure that cricket wasn't everything and it's still not everything i I enjoy it and I, i love chasing what i am but yeah as i said i have a i have a business now that's going really well which allows me the freedom to be able to chase these different things and if you speak to my wife she thinks it's She's she's very very supportive, but she thinks it's funny that yeah I'm off doing as much cricket as I am at the moment. Obviously involved with the Melbourne Renegades, involved with Victorian cricket, I remember coaching and men's and women's, yeah, and still playing club cricket on uh, for St Kilda in in first grade, still captain of that team. So and coach of the Seattle Thunderbolts over the other side of the world. So yeah, loving what I'm doing. But the twenty year old me would he would have thought I was crazy, and he would have been angry that I wasn't. 100 tests wicketkeeper.
0: it's incredible isn't it that that failure to become that has probably allowed you to open up in different ways my memories of you was always from sitting across 50 meters away in you know in the stands at the vic games you just always felt like a really intense sort of character and following you on Twitter in the last couple of years, seeing you on podcasts, watching you with the Thunderbolts. You just seem like a completely different person than you were before. And look, yeah, good luck with the Thunderbolts if you get back there. I mean, maybe not for your batting, but uh, for your your coaching and your high-performance work. And uh, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Mate, thank you so much for having me. And it's, uh, yeah, good to touch base. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with everything. But I think it's it's all... Very exciting what's happening in the US and, yeah, I can't wait to get back over there and uh, see everyone and, and catch up with everyone and, yeah, see some really good cricket because I've just been super impressed with the cricket that's being played over there and I think it's, it's just on such a big trajectory that – and I know that everybody here in Australia has been asking me every day I think I get a, a question about what's happening in the US and there's a lot of people now with their eyes very wide open of what's happening so – It's exciting and, uh, yeah, as I said, can't wait to get back.
0: Thanks for listening to Red Inca on 99.94. For more information about us, go to 99.94dm.com. Remember to download our app or just search for West Indies, India, England, South Africa and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word-of-mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia, and Meda Akam producing some of the shows and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by The Red Cricket.